You're listening to a podcast from the Media Motel. Coming up this week in episode 580, 70 years of the UK singles chart, Bob Dylan auto-signing books for $600, and remembering Christine McVie. That's all coming up after Jesus Jones and right here, right now. The lyrics have a certain resonance, even 32 mm. years on. They're rather topical, really. Uh, they're still touring and recording with pretty much the original mm. lineup. 31 in the UK, number two on Billboard from the autumn of 1990. Jesus Jones and Right Here, Right Now. Yeah, it's interesting you say that. That They, they were one of those bands who were almost more successful in America than they were yeah. over here, weren't they? They had a real yeah. sort of following there. I remember reading a piece, and it would have been some years ago now, where the, the singer had a sort of an unfortunate, not unfortunate, but an unusual sideline, um, performing that song at the beginning of corporate conferences and events. Oh, that dear. seemed to be a sort oh, of an dear. inspirational sort of motivational anthem. But uh, no, I really like Jesus Jones. Mm. They They occasionally... 
when we had a couple of v- venues sort of open locally, they would occasionally sort of wash up on the kind of 90s revival circuit. We had quite a few of those bands, pre-COVID particularly, that would come around and play yeah. here. And they've been down a couple of times and have always been spoken well of by people. It, was, it used to be them, Republica... And the rocking birds used to used to turn up with sort of we had dodgy a couple of times as well, I think. Very much bands of that era would would kind of swing by. But no, I like Jesus Jones. That's a that's a good way to open a podcast city. <laughs> Welcome along to Parish Council, episode five hundred and eighty. I'm Terence Stackham. And has she been circulating at any Buckingham Palace uh, receptions this week? Let's ask Julia Harris. I mean, fortunately not. I mean, I, I I cannot. What would it have been like to just have been a random guest at that as that unfolded in front of you? Goodness me. Anyway, no, I, I've not attended any receptions this week. Oh, I am. I am. I know it is a pity, isn't it? For them, essentially. But anyway, mm. I, I am. I am like your song says, Sertie, right here, <laughs> right now. Good evening, afternoon, morning, whatever, everybody. Happy birthday to the UK singles chart. Indeed, I've bought a cake. Um, it's, <laughs> it's in the shape of a number one. 70 years old uh, a week or two ago. In those 70 years, 1,404 singles have reached wow. the official number one spot. Um, and they include Good Vibrations, Wuthering Heights, Reach Out, I'll Be There, Bridge Over Troubled Water, All You Need Is Love. But also reaching number one were Mr Blobby, Peter Andre's Mysterious Girl, The Ketchup Song and Robin Thicke. So swings mm, and What a range. Yes, indeed. What better way? And there is none. I know you'll agree. What better way to celebrate 70 oh. years of the UK singles chart than with a Are You a Know All or Know Nothing quiz? all about the UK singles chart. Hooray! Hooray for quizzes. I think the truth is always will be somewhere in between, but let's see. 70 years, 70 questions. No, oh. no. no. <laughs> Wait, say. come back. Come back. I'm going to have to tell my mum I'm going to be late for lunch, I think. <laughs> Only five questions. Um, uh, and that's okay. because after finding out last week that I couldn't add up eight and a half successfully, I thought five <laughs> would be about my limit, you see. OK, fair enough. Uh, three out of five to win the star prize, a gold disc of the Venga Boys. We're going to Ibiza, oh, number one in the UK in 1999. If it had been We Like to Party, I would have been interested, <laughs> but never mind. I don't know if that got to number one, possibly not. Anyway. Here's the quiz. A variety of questions all about the UK singles chart. Hopefully, a relatively easy one to start with. Oh, okay. I want to know the only palindromic hit by a palindromic group. Oh, okay. Well, I'm I'm going to assume that the group is ABBA. You're correct. Oh, so SOS by hey, ABBA is going to well be that, done. isn't it? Yeah, that's that's very good. Very good start. Now, this is before your time, so I'm going to give you clues if you need them. That's very kind. Thank you, sir. The first foreign language number one. Oh, okay. Um... It was in nineteen sixty nine. Oh, um, is it, it Je t'aime non plus? It's Je t'aime one non plus. Which is which is Gainsbourg and Berkin. That's right, Serge Gainsbourg and Jean Jean Berkin. Yeah, um, the, uh, the 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 name of the shoe, Jane Berkin, indeed. <laughs> Very good. Now the next one you'll be pleased to hear has got multiple choice. Oh, good. Who has scored the most UK number ones? Is it 
Cliff Richard, The Beatles or Elvis? I am going to say Elvis. You would be correct to do so. You've already won the Venga Boys. Oh, gold hooray! Race. I'd say that because he had that. He had that bizarre late run. That that sort of that that posthumous run in uh, the early two thousands when when lots of things got reissued, and also he he had that, that little less conversation. The the JXL remix. Oh, that's right. Um, Cliff fourteen, the Beatles seventeen, mm. Elvis twenty one. I mean, Cliff has tried with his various yes. Christmas escapades, hasn't he? But anyway. Another multiple choice are coming up here. Most streamed single of all time in the UK Oh, okay. Is it The Beatles, Here Comes the Sun, Louis Capaldi, Someone You Loved, Mariah Carey, All I Want for Christmas Is You. Well, I was thinking that Mariah would come up, so I'm going to say the Mariah number. Your first cross goes against... Oh, no! Is it yeah. Here Comes the Sun? It's the other one, Lewis Capaldi. It's Lewis Capaldi! I oh, know. goodness Isn't me. Isn't that strange? 562 million streams wow. of someone you love, which when you think about it, that would mean every man, woman, child, pensioner, <laughs> baby streaming it 10 times each in the UK. Wow, I mean, I, I, I've only ever heard that song like in shops or, you know, if, you, if you're out and about. I've never consciously, as much as I, I quite like Louis Capaldi, I've seen him as a chat show guest and I, I, I warm to his normalness, I must say. Um, yeah, I, I've never heard that song. No, I've never knowingly chosen to listen to but that. But some song. other people have heard it an enormous amount. Yes, many, many, many times. Yes. I'm surprised about the Mariah number because that, that mm. every year now seems to, I know. Uh, I was trying to crash trick land. There and and I'm, yes. yes, and it worked. Well, hopefully, much like Khalees, you can trick me once, but you're not going to trick me twice. <laughs> By the way, Lewis, uh, uh, you know, with 562 million streams, second most uh, streamed song of all time, single of all time, Ed Sheeran, Shape of You. Yes. Third, Ed Sheeran, Perfect. So, wow. I mean, it really is the age of the disarmingly normal singer-songwriter, isn't it? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, very much so, yeah. Now, as long as people didn't disappear when I said there were 70 questions for 70 years, yes. um, everybody's come back and realised that this is number five, the last yes, question. Yes, indeed, the final question. And I, I've been able to add up so far that you've got three well out of done. four today. Well yeah, done, Sir very, you're yeah, learning. Exactly. Got my calculator here, so... Excellent, yes. to add there, there are three people drawing a graph. One person is featured on the biggest selling single for each of the 60s, 70s and 80s. Who is it? Oh, goodness me. Now, um, it's a little bit of thought. If you're not sure straight away, I'm going to say this. This one person is featured. So they they may have been in different... Uh, oh, is, is it Paul McCartney? It's Paul McCartney. I hoped I was able to lead you a little bit that there. Was well done. I was I was, I was, was thinking who, who's had that. It just goes to show the spread of Paul McCartney's career, doesn't it? Now, this that, is that, tricky, that, though, Jules. Yeah. Which are those three? I mean, I'm giving you the point because that's very, very good. But for a bonus, and this is quite challenging. So he features on the biggest, singing, uh, biggest selling single of the 60s, and the 70s and the 80s. So what would they be? Okay, so I think the biggest selling single of the 70s... That's going to be the one you'll get most likely, yes. Mile of Kintyre. Correct. Yes, a biggest selling single of the 60s. Yes, go for that one. Next. Okay, I think I think this is going to be a Beatles number. Correct. I can't imagine it would be anything other than a Beatles go, number. Go early. 
go early. Oh, well, in worst case, then we'll try She Loves You. Correct. Hooray! Thank now, you. the 80s. He's on the biggest selling single of the 1980s. Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna struggle, I think, a bit with okay, this. I'll, um, I'll lead you along. It's not a solo. Okay, so um, we've talked it, about it recently. It was uh, 1984. Oh, was he on? Did they know it's Christmas? He was. Was he? That's never that trumpeted. Well, thank you very much. So uh, four out of five. Very good oh, performance. thank you, Thirty. You did assist. That was wind assisted, though. So, <laughs> so thank you. A couple of facts and figures, according to the official charts company, and I found this quite astonishing. According mm. to the official charts company, ninety-eight point six percent of all singles consumption now is via streaming. I'm not surprised. I must admit, I cannot. I I can't remember. So I don't often go into HMV. But I can't remember the last time I saw physical singles for sale. Oh, really? I didn't even I know that. I didn't even know that. I I I no I do. I think I actually I, if you dug into it further I reckon that most most physical single sales I bet you'll find most physical single sales now are on vinyl. I bet that most of the physical sales mm. are seven inch singles that have come back. Because you mean as think, opposed to CD singles yes, and whatnot. Yeah. You're right, I, right. I reckon that's probably the case now. And if you think about it where did we used to buy our singles? Our price doesn't exist anymore. It's long no, ceased to exist. No. Woolworths doesn't exist anymore. That's where I used to buy all my singles when I went into Hastings Town Centre as a youth. Um, Smiths, I think, might have sold singles at one point, but they, they don't now. Apart from HMV, wh- where else? Where would you go and buy yeah, a for sure. single yeah, in 2022? Exactly. And I yeah. can't... I can't remember. I mean, admittedly, I wasn't looking, but I, there used to be like the top 40. Sort of, you know, there used to be a whole rack. I, I do HMV have that anymore? I don't remember them having that, which yeah. means that most of the vinyl, sing, vinyl singles I still see for sale in lots of independent record shops. Can't remember the last time I saw the top 40 stocked in an independent record yeah. shop. The ones I go into no. that aren't, aren't in there, that even you know, sort of the new ones rather than the second-hand ones. Resident in Brighton, as far as I'm aware, don't stop the, the, the top 40. Yet they do sell individual vinyl singles by bands. I've got a young person in my family who's mm. one of the 1.4% because she's asked for um, a record deck for Christmas. Oh, so. nice. Excellent. I'm very pleased to have her along. Yes, you can then tell one of your her gangs. That you don't, you can, yeah, you can tell her on this podcast that you don't understand her buying vinyl <laughs> as well as me. That would be nice exactly. to have an ally. In 2022, it takes an average 6.82 million streams to gain a UK number one single. Wow. Wow, that really is a, a, a an alarm. That's pretty hard statistic. work, isn't it? Yes, to, it is. To, it to, is. To do that. You're not going to get there by fluke anymore, I think. Probably not. No, it's it's interesting, isn't it? It's taken on a different complexion now. The chart. Well, that, this is it because there was a time when the singles chart was very exciting. At school, yes. we used to convene around a tiny transistor radio to hear the new top forty, which was mm. then released at lunchtime on a Tuesday, and we'd all oh, be. Interesting. Yeah, it was mm. important at the time. Had the Beatles come in at number one? What about Fleetwood Mac, The Stones, Credence, and so on? But this is the this is the nuance now because here we are in 2022 with all those facts and figures we've just heard. So yeah, I think I mean, does anyone? actually care about the singles chart anymore Jules 
Well, some one of my colleagues mentioned it in in when I was in the office on Friday afternoon, and it was the first saying that she listens to it. Wow. And she's um, it's on on Friday afternoons, I think. Oh, is it? And okay. she, I think that's where it is now on Radio One. And she said that she had she was mentioning it because we were at work, and she had it on on headphones. Lots of us wear headphones in the office, and it was the first time I've heard someone mention the singles chart currently. In a very long time, it, you're right. It used to be a really big deal when mm. I was in in the era of my youth, my Saturdays. It was Sundays from four until seven. That's when it was on, and there was always a battle. So the official chart was on Radio One. I used to listen to sort of network radio. I think it was Capital Network Radio, it would mm. have been. And my local radio station, which if you're really old, you remember it as Southern Sounds. And if you're of a, of just a little bit old, you remember it as Southern FM. It is now inevitably hot because it's been bought well, out. But, uh, yeah. but yes, exactly. But it was it was Southern FM with Southern Sounds. Um, but that used to have the syndicated, the Pepsi UK chart, which was a different chart to the, mm. to the, to the top 40. It was largely similar. I don't know how they calculated it. It was Dr. Fox, NB, possibly not a real doctor, that used to, that used to host it. Um, and I, it was always a bit of a war. Which one did you listen to? Were you a, a, an official UK chart person or a Pepsi UK chart person? I was a Pepsi UK chart person, to my regret, now looking back on it. But, um, yeah, it used to be a really big deal. And even... Even after its heyday, I remember working for Marks and Spencer's sort of circa 2002-2005. And I remember the battle for the Christmas number one in, it would have been 2003 or 2004, which was Gary Jules's Mad World. Oh, yes. Which was very much one of those, the forerunner of the drippy covers that we complain yeah. about, that the John yeah. Lewis adverts. That was taken from Donnie Darko, I think. It wasn't It wasn't an advert thing, but it might have been used on an advert subsequently. Mm. And the uh, that was the sort of the tastemakers of number one. It's, its opposition was Christmas Time, Don't Let the Bells End by the Darkness, which really was a throwback to those sort of daft slate mm. sort of, you know, the glam rock 70s singles. And I remember being in the warehouse working and a number of us finding an excuse to go and use the lift because that's where you could best hear the radio and um, <laughs> find out who it was that had got to Christmas number one I believe it was Gary Jules in the end but not by very much I think it was the closest race and there was a real hope that this would inspire like proper Christmas records again I don't think that that really happens but it's strange isn't it I don't know anyone who follows the chart anymore I don't know anybody that that is really connected in what it is Radio One has really dug in now to be it used to be 18 to 34 and I remember complaining on Twitter once in about 2011 2012 saying most of this is just dire and at the time I was you know about 28 years old and it wasn't I said well this is meant to be 18 to 34 why isn't this appealing to me and an equally 28-ish person replied on Twitter and said look they don't want us they Mm. want younger people and they seem to be really dug into that now so maybe i'm just too old for the single chart maybe maybe i'm just not into it also the loss of top of the pops has had a huge impact on the single chart i think because you would see something on top of the pops and then go out and buy it wouldn't you it'd be on Very the breakers um or, or, or you know but uh, i remember bless him bernard sumner from the awarder who is brilliant but often makes me feel better about my voice when i hear him on, on record <laughs> said that they were one of the only bands new order who when they went on top of the pops they 
their single cells used to go down instead of up because they were never. I mean, fair play to him for having that level of yeah. self awareness. But yeah, and you see, you'd see them live. I remember uh, Lauren Laverne being on something once and was taunted. It might have been Buzzcocks or something. Was taunted by footage of her singing on top of the pots with Kanicki uh, as a youth. And after the clip finished, she looked at the camera and said, "Yeah, very much a live performance that one." So, so you know, so, so some bands would, uh, some bands would survive the top of the pops mints or some wouldn't but when they were insisting on having it all recorded live in the 90s i remember lauren laverne complaining that rumrig had taken six takes to get their song right um to the bemusement of everybody else in the top of the pop studios but Mm -hmm. (coughs) excuse me it used to it, 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 it used to be such a huge totem of British cultural life, didn't it? It was like a huge sort of you know, everyone into the chart singles. The fact that you used to have to sell shed loads to get to number one. And now it just doesn't it doesn't register, does it? It's, it's no, not, it it, you know, no one really sort of knows. And it's a shame. You could argue it, it's always a thing, isn't it? Was life better in the good old days or has it just out, outlived its usefulness? It it just goes to show that by itself it wasn't enough, was it? It needed, you know, big radio coverage and also, a t- you know, Top of the Pops was essentially the official programme of the singles chart, wasn't it? And also yeah, ITV, that, you know, had CD UK and the chart show on ITV and you had you had a sort of, um, you had an infrastructure around it and now it's stripped of its infrastructure. It doesn't, it doesn't register. And also, like you say, when 98% is, is made up by streaming, that's such a nebulous thing, I think. I know that, that that's how a lot of us listen to music now. But there's just because it lacks the physical, this many people went, went to a shop and bought this single. That's that's a commitment that's beyond, you know, I'm just going to click this button and then listen to Lewis Capaldi or whatever. So so mm. because you now have to sell so little as well, I think it's not like the days where, you know, you could sell, you know, tens of thousands of singles and still make still only get to number four. It's it's a different world now. I'm sad about it because I think it was a real in its own quiet way, a real unifier for the nation, I think. But um yeah, that seems to be where we are, I think. And I, I can't see it. I can't without without something like Top of the Pops, I can't see it becoming relevant again. Yeah, no, that, that's a very good point. And I also take on board uh, the, this, the streaming thing, because although I enjoy the convenience of streaming and yes. I've been a big advocate of the breakup of mm. albums into their individual tracks, yes. I think the introduction of streaming has, however, has changed the charts forever because they 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 no longer um, tell you about what people are buying, as you say, in the sense of walking into a record shop and actually purchasing a physical product. Now, and I think there is a big difference, the chart just tells you what people are listening to, which, as you say, are pressing a button and listening to yes. Lewis Cabaldi instead of actually having to make the physical effort to actually purchase um, a, a, a product. But I think when it became really absurd was when Ed Sheeran, in, in March 2017 he had 16 singles in the top 20 including nine in the top 10 because they were all being streamed from his then new album and this is when it then gets a bit peculiar because then the charts company introduced a new rule which in in my view it manages to seem both fair and unfair at the same time in that they said no artist could have more than three songs in the top 100, 100 at mm, any one annoying. time, which seems mm. quite arbitrary. And so I think because of this imposed rule and the nature of streaming being transient rather than a solid mm. purchase, the UK singles chart 
is it's sort of left with little credibility and almost a pointless existence, which when I think mm. about it, it's a bit like Matt Hancock, really, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, a bit of politics for you there. Yes, um, I agree. And there's this interesting quote in this very interesting article by Alex Petridis with The Guardian, oh, yeah. which absolutely chimes with what you're telling me. Um in terms of sort of lack of credibility, I mean, we just I was just talking about sales and, you know, how not, you know, not being able to sell very much and also how streaming is now counted. So so streaming and sales are counted together, which gives you these odd things like, um, as Alex says, the years since Spotify UK's launch have given rise to an odd phenomenon with artists being awarded gold and platinum sales certificates, actually discs that hang up for singles that made hardly any impact on the charts. Alt rockers Catfish and the Bottleman have released three platinum selling singles, the highest charting reaching 81. Rapper Tyler, the creator, see you again, and singer songwriter uh, Rex Horace Cowdy's best friend and Loving Is Easy, which is a great song, by the way, managed to go gold without making the singles chart at all. It happens because these songs have been streamed an enormous amount over a long period of time. Nevertheless, the existence of big singles artists who barely appear in the singles chart can't help but make the singles chart look irrelevant. I think that probably just about sums it up and and they are trying to the compilers of the chart are trying to keep up this balancing act so 100 paid for streams or 600 ad funded streams count as one sale wow so that's the calculation there wow. but um and it's become this I mean, I think that I think this is this is why it's sort of dying, isn't it? Because it's that's the complexity that the, the appeal of the singles chart was its simplicity. Whoever it was that sold the most amount of single sort of physical records, tapes, CDs, whatever in one week was was number one. And yes. and that was that was it. Everybody could understand that. Everybody yeah. knew that. Whatever it was on telly, on top of the pops, it was number one. Was number one. Whatever it was on the radio, was number one. I, you know, and I do miss the days when there were sort of singles had chart careers where they would go up and down. And there's this lovely story in I think it's in John Harris's The Last Party talking about. Uh, EMI and Ireland, so so Blur's record company and Pulp's record company, they used to have offices that were opposite each other, so you could they had glass windows that you could see from each office, and common people um, that, that you know, had an unexpectedly successful run in in the chart, and this was in the days where the chart was so important, Terence. So you had mm. midweeks; they would publish the midweek oh, chart yes, yes. so that you could see what was going on. And someone from from EMI said that they used to do this thing where they would put sort of their chart positions up in the window as a sort of a kind of jolly oh. competition. And they said one week they put they they rung up they rung up their counterparts at Ireland to congratulate them on the midweeks. Common people, twenty one, it said in their window. And they were like, "Wow, twenty one for a pulp record? That's amazing." Turns out the one was an exclamation mark. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> but um, but Excellent. yeah, but, but you know, those days very sadly feel a long way away. Yes. Coming next, Bob Dylan caught without a pen in his hand. Wow. And can we be sure anything in music is real anyway? That's right after Stereo Lab.
pleasure of seeing Stereo Lab live for the second time uh, last weekend, which we will discuss later on. But when I was watching them, they, they played, a, again, we'll talk about it in detail, but they played a set. So I saw them in 2019, which was sort of their quote unquote comeback tour. They they released now in 2008 and then packed in and they they reformed they do this series of compilations called switched on and they were issuing another one of those and also reissuing a lot of their back catalogue and they went on tour to support this in summer 2019 as a result of which played all the all things are relative they played all the hits they played all the big ones that everyone would have known and we had a great time i saw them this time in lead stylus with my pal ed three years later they were plugging another switched on compilation, which having heard it recently is great, but did have a little bit of a here's some stuff we found down the back of a cupboard air about it. As much as I love Stereo Lab, it was a little bit like that. And this time they played for themselves, Satie. They they did play a few of the bigger ones, but they played they played a more obscure set, which is very enjoyable because they play excellently and, and the Tisha Sadie was in fine voice. But uh, when this started up my friend Ed turned to me and said, this is the Stereo Lab song, isn't it, really? If you had to think about who Stereo Lab are and what they do, and this was from the first Switched On compilation, I believe. Um, I love this. I spent years, as I confessed after the gig, mishearing the lyrics. I thought when she sings, I was born to exercise its pain, I thought she was singing Exercise in Spain for many, many yeah. years. Turns out that's not what she's singing at Jogging all. Jogging up a mountain. Exactly. I mean, you know, they, they, I get the impression they leave these slightly comic book lives away from music. So it could well have happened. But anyway, that's the excellent Stereo Lab with Super Electric. 31 years old, that track. Time sure charges along, but it's lovely. It doesn't and, uh, it? But it's, it still sounds quite quite vibrant and quite current, I oh, think. Oh, very much, yeah. <laughs> More on Stereo Lab a bit later, as you say. Um it used to be used to be quite simple. We've more or less been talking about this. Some people would go into a recording studio and make records, and some other people might buy them. Oh. And those, those same people might perform their music on stage, and those other people might go along and listen. Yes, All very indeed. straightforward. Now we live in 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 different fractured times, and heritage pop singers and groups in particular mm. are obviously getting older. They need to keep the income streams flowing in. They, yes, they sell very much back. so. Back catalogues go, you know, sell them to hedge funds and then they complain yes. when their revered work is used to sell cars and booze. Yes, absolutely. Or in Bob Dylan's case, Victoria's Secret underwear. They, they sell... <laughs> I mean, of all, of all, the, no offence to the great man himself, of all uh, the faces to flog underwear, of all the images to flog most, underwear with. I know, mm. most unlikely uh, tie in there. Yeah. Um, and, and, of course, they sell merchandise, they sell meet and greets, they re-release records of special editions, they write books. And here mm. we return to Bob Dylan, who has apologised this week for using an auto-signing machine to <laughs> autograph 900, uh, in inverted commas, hand-signed books, the philosophy of modern songs – each coming with a letter of authenticity from the publisher Simon and & Schuster and retailing at an eye-watering $599. That is sat- in- I mean, that in itself is insane. Can I just interject at this point? Mm-hmm. No, it's, exactly. It's that 600 bucks indeed that's the killer fact here, Jules, because yes. he says he did it because he suffers from vertigo and it might not be... <laughs> quite the story it, i'm yeah. sorry to laugh at bob kinnan's <laughs> vertigo but of all of the excuses that is my dog well, he's signing them on, on top of a pole or something but anyway um 
it might not be quite the story if the books were twenty dollars, but six hundred dollars, Jules, for a book autographed by a machine. I know that is insane. Can we please all be upstanding for the Guardian and their excellent headline to describe this? It ain't me, babe. Bob Dylan yeah. apologises for using a machine <laughs> autograph. It's very yeah. good. The people at the Guardian. Yeah, I mean, regular patrons of this podcast will know that I'm extremely, um, I'm extremely eye rolly about Saint Bob at the best of times. Um, my apologies, Bob, for calling you a grumpy old wang on this podcast previously. Having said that, I don't. This is this is. I mean, I would I would sort. I mean, he let's with the best one in the world. Bob Dylan is getting on a bit, isn't he? They all are of that that generation. So I have some sympathy with, with not wanting to sit there and endlessly autograph hundreds of books. Nine hundred is not that many. I think if it was like five thousand, you'd be like, oh, I can understand that. But I think the big issue here is not. Not so much that, you know, an elderly man needs some help in signing books. <laughs> Don't advertise them as hand signed if they're not. This is this is the issue, isn't it? And and the issue is perhaps not even. It makes you wonder how involved was Bob Dylan in this process? Or did, to quote Krusty the Clown in The Simpsons, they drove a dumper truck of money to write up to my house, I'm not made of stone. Is that what is that what happened to here? Did they just dump a load of books with Bob and say, look, we've got this thing, just turn that on and sign these books? It could well be that, I mean, I'll be charitable to St. Bob here. It could well be that he didn't know he, you know, he just did this signing of books, didn't he? To then turn around and say, oh, I've got vertigo. Fine. If you can't sign the books, don't sign the books. Don't then turn around and advertise them as hand sign when they're not. There was the, the embarrassing way in which this was revealed was, as always, on social media, where everybody, excited Bob fans, were posting pictures of their books that they'd got, to which someone pointed out that the signatures were exactly the same so dear, so you dear, know it, it is it is it is someone that you know has signed ephemera i've talked about pj holvey on this podcast previously i've compared lyric sheets with friends and they're different she's signed them slightly differently she signed some in a different pen she signed some at a certain yeah. angle they're very they're very much you know they're very genuine i mean you know some might argue if you're willing to pay 600 bucks for a signed bob dylan book anyway then perhaps Perhaps you pay your money and you take your choice, fools and money, et cetera, et cetera. But I, I feel for the fans because if you've paid that much and you want something that's genuinely signed, which, you know, there are people that are huge Bob Dylan fans. I can understand that. Mm. It's just so cynical, isn't it, really? And, you know, whether or not Bob was involved, I don't know. But someone somewhere has been extremely cynical. The fact that it comes with a certificate of authenticity, well, mm. you know, maybe it was the authenticity applies to the machine as well, I assume. But that's not the point, <laughs> is it? The point is that they're advertisers' hand sign. They're not. And, um, I, I mean, bless, bless, um, bless Bob Dylan. This is his full statement, by the way. And I have a little bit oh. of sympathy here. But equally, somebody should have said something, I think. So he said he said uh, all of his signatures over the years. He's 81 years old, by the way, can I just point out. Um, over the years have been hand signed. However, in 2019, I had a bad case of vertigo and it continued into the pandemic years. It takes a crew of five. I mean, at which point I feel like saying it takes a man to laugh, it takes a train to cry. But anyway, <laughs> it takes a crew of five working in close quarters with me to help enable these signing sessions. And we could not find a safe and workable way to complete what I needed to do while the virus was raging. Yes. OK, fair enough. So during the pandemic, it was impossible to sign anything and the vertigo didn't help. With contractual deadlines looming, the idea of using an auto pen was suggested to me. OK, so Bob did know, along with the insurance that this kind 
kind of thing is done all the time in the art and literary world. Mm. Using a machine was an error in judgment, and I want to rectify it immediately. I'm working with Simon and Schuster and my gallery partners to do just that. Um, it, they said it. They said the limited edition books do contain Bob's original signature, but in a penned replica form. Simon and Schuster say. So they had this issue with PJ Harvey. In that, that as, as regulators will know, they had a reissue campaign of her her back catalogue, which started again. I suspect this has been long, planned long before the pandemic. The first one was released in May 2020, I think June 2020, and the first, however many copies of the the first um so so Dry was reissued with demo form. So all of the albums were reissued with a demo demo album alongside it, and the first 300, I think records were signed and I managed to get one which was brilliant however PJ Harvey lives in the west country and mm. as the pandemic raged it became apparent that they could that, uh, put it this way PJ Harvey does not allegedly does not have a mobile phone if, you, if you're a journalist and you wish to interview PJ Harvey you're given the phone number of the local phone box down the road and a day and a time and you <laughs> ring on that point and PJ Harvey answers and that's where you speak to her um so so basically no one could the lockdown restrictions meant no one could drive the records down to her they didn't have a way of getting the records to her for her yeah. to sign so she signed postcards and then lyric sheets instead which can easily or more easily be posted to her they found a way around it they didn't yes, depend yeah. as far as i'm aware they, they they changed it would it have been possible for bob Dylan to have signed a book plate that you could then send to somebody. Yeah. You, know, you could yeah. send book plates yeah. to the post, couldn't you? Yeah. I mean, I, especially I for six hundred dollars. Well, quite. And this is it, isn't it? Really, you know, this is this is the price. And get the, yes, okay. So, so you didn't, you weren't able to do it during the pandemic. This has gone on for about two or three years, by the sound of it. There would have been a moment to say. Surely there would have been a moment to say for for this for this price. So maybe maybe Bob has been, you know. We'll have a bit of sympathy for Bob because, you know, 81 year old man believes what publisher tells him. I can understand that. But I don't know. It, it, it's just somewhere has been someone has been very cynical somewhere. And I feel for the people that have been taken for a ride on this. This book, by the way, The Philosophy of Modern Songs. It, Which the, the, the title itself is slightly putting me off, I must say. But I, <laughs> I believe it's Bob reflecting on mm. uh, 66 of his favourite uh, songs of, of the you know modern era. So these aren't necessarily it. his songs. These are oh, other no, songs. they're very much not oh, his that, songs. Oh, that does his sound interesting artists. then. Yes, oh, great. Little uh, essays. Well, all about Lovely. 66 of his favourite songs that he's heard over the years. Well, that does but sound quite the... good, actually. I take that back. I think you may not be saying that when I ask you the next question. Uh-oh. Of the 66 songs, how many are by women? Oh, no. Oh. Four. Oh, this is... <gasps> so 62 I was going to say nine. Songs. I was going to go... <laughs> Bob, so I'm presuming there's going to be no appearance by L7 then. <laughs> Bob, Bob, not a fan of Biss, it turns out. What a shock. But um, yeah, that that is, and you know, that's just so, it's just so tedious, yeah, isn't it? I think I'm he's assume, got a bit of history with his yes, uh, views yes. on the place of 
women in right. the modern world. I, I'm assuming. I'm assuming that one of the four songs might be by Joan Byers. I'm assuming that Joan Byers and Joni. Do you know, I don't think it is. I, I think really? I flicked through a review the other day, and I think she's conspicuous by her absence. Off the top of my head, I can't remember what the, the who the four women are, but I'm rather of the belief that uh, Joan was not one of them, which is oh yeah. I mean that that in itself is is. Mm-hmm. You know, pretty tedious, isn't it? It's um, it's it's. I mean, I, I I bet that this is probably quite good because actually Bob Dylan is is a. I've read some stuff that he's written mm. before, and he's a reasonable writer, I think. So so I would Nina Simone is apparently in it with her rendition of Don't oh, Let Me Be Misunderstood. Okay. Yeah. Um. Well, I've just I've just had a brief flick through a thing here. Um. It's yeah. It, it like you say, it's very it's very te- it, it's just tedious, isn't it? That only four are by women. I just you think you know it's it's it shows a narrow view i think really and um, but may, maybe it will be a good book and my view is always that bob dylan's songs are best performed by other people so maybe yes. bob dylan is at his best when writing about other people's songs i don't know but um the logic would dictate that but yes the whole exercise it's a shame because it sounds like it could be quite interesting but the stuff like you know the unforced errors over the the auto signing just it just yet again with all of these these heritage artists big ticket releases everything just comes with a side order of nonsense doesn't it really and it's really off-putting it, it really does i mean it all makes me wonder where it will all end i mean we mm. now fully accept that in the recording studio any number of devices and software can be used to let us say enhance a performance and auto-tuning vocals of course is now considered yes, the indeed. Norm. And then we've had the the seeming success, um, as mentioned earlier, ABBA, the live shows running from this summer in London, where the four members of ABBA are nowhere near the theatre. The entire performance is uh, undertaken by hologram. And Mm. um, yeah, everyone I know that's attended that absolutely loves it. Everyone I know that's been to see it said it's it's remarkable. Well, Well, this is it because you know if you if you look at that the sort of auto-tuning and software in studios and holograms uh, you know where are we with this are we being mm. ripped off like bobby d's auto-signed books or is this is this all a legitimate step forward well it depends how it's advertised i think and i think to go back to the point we were making earlier what's so annoying about the bob dylan thing to put it mildly is that they were advertised as hand signed when they weren't you'd have every right to be annoyed if you went to see the voyage show um and by abba if it was advertised as abba live and then you turned up as though they were holograms yes i would be very annoyed having said that this has been advertised as a unique experience in that they are holograms and everyone knows what they're getting and i think people quite enjoy the novelty of it but you can choose to buy into it or not but the 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 main point is you can choose can't you you can say oh i don't fancy seeing that hologram show it's not real or you can go oh yeah great that's the nearest i'm going to get to seeing abbott i would love to go and see that in this instance you are not offered the opportunity to buy an auto signed book by bob dylan you are offered the opportunity to buy a hand signed book by bob dylan that suggested a level of personality and personalization about it that does not exist it turns out so actually i i don't necessarily think it's the end of everything there's still people still perform live it's not like we only watch holograms of people it's up to you whether or not you want to see it whether or not you think you know seeing elvis as a hologram is a worthwhile exercise in this instance the abba thing is different and genuinely innovative in that these people are still alive aren't they 
Yeah. So they yeah, have yeah, actually yeah. done this performance. Oh, yeah. You're yeah, just yeah. watching a, a slightly projected. You're watching a weird. You're not just going to watch a film of them performing. That's. I mean, I still might try and find a way of seeing this. It's still on, I think, isn't it? But um, I would like to find a way of seeing this because it feels like a genuinely interesting halfway house. The Bob Dylan thing has not been advertised as that. It is, it turns out, this new real slash surreal way of doing it. But if you know what you're getting, then that's fine. If you're sold something that isn't what you were being told it's sold, it's just trade descriptions, isn't it? It's it's not anything more than that. Let me bring you the four names of the women who Bob... Oh, thank uh, you, Um, You mentioned Nina Simone, Judy Garland... Oh. Rosemary Clooney and Cher. What a, I mean, that that is a bit random. It, it's random, and also it's on the easy listening side of things, isn't it? With no yeah. criticism mm. at all to any of the people, but it's yeah. it's it's rather trad, isn't it? I would not have come up with Judy Garland for a long time if yeah. you told me to told me or Rosemary Clooney for that matter. <laughs> it's 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 very strange, isn't it? Uh, that is. And almost, in typical Bob Dylan style, feels like cutting your nose off to spite your face, isn't yes. it? Don't mention Joan Byers. Don't mention Joni Mitchell. It's, it's yeah, it's No odd. Joni Mitchell, no Carol King, no Laura Nero. I mean, no, exactly. Yeah. All people that would have been credible yes. around that time. Maybe that's interesting and that Bob is looking outside of his his kind of immediate circle. Maybe Maybe you could give that argument to it. But yes, it does look a little bit pointed, doesn't it? Coming next... Juliet's Adventures at a Merchandising Store, My Night Out to See Ego LMA in London, and we we look at the career and life of Christine McVie. That's from it after Eve's Wilder. Six months in.
delicious revenge song in the most endearing way, nicking a sweater <laughs> from your ex. I Her love that. Single... Which of us haven't been there at any point oh, in our lives? That's dear. a universal anthem, I think. Her first single since signing to the secretly Canadian label. Mm. And um, she also happens to be the daughter of Caitlin Moran and Pete Pavides. Oh, I didn't Eves know Wilder. that. Oh, interesting. Uh, <laughs> Eves Wilder and her new single, I Stole Your Jumper. Oh, well, I mean, I'm very impressed by that. That was that was excellent. And uh, also secretly Canadian. Goodness me, they put out some incredible stuff. So. Uh, so, yeah. And like I say, whom amongst us has not is not the owner of clothing that, that was not theirs or indeed has had their own clothing redistributed to another house seemingly forever. Well, very much so. And I, I, I hate I hope I'm not being misogynist, but it's mainly a girl thing because chaps generally can't fit into the woman's uh, that's true. T shirt or blouse. But for those of us that are not in relationships with chaps at tea, it is very, very relevant. There is a lot of clothes sharing that goes on. And yes, I hate to say clothes so. misappropriation, Sati. So be glad that you're not in that world. Well, indeed. Now, Jules, I put it to you. Mm-hmm. That you've been away this week engaging in hedonistic adventures. Yes, I have. I- including an unexpected meeting at a merchandising store. Well, indeed. So this, so I put this story on social media. It does have a postscript, which has not yet made it to social media. So it's a world Ooh, exclusive, exclusive on this wow. podcast, Sir T. So wow. I went with my pal, Ed, as previously mentioned today, to see Stereolab play at what is essentially Leeds University Student Union. The venue is referred to as Stylus, but it is within the union. Um, we went to see it on a Saturday evening. It hadn't quite sold out. Um, Ed had a walk around the venue. It's on several layers. And he went to the bar and had a sort of a, a scout run and told me he thought it was about 70 to 75% full. I'm surprised. Um, I am genuinely yes, surprised. I am, actually. And the last tour really did sell out. They were playing in Brighton. This is typical me. They played in Brighton, about half a mile from my work on Thursday evening. So instead of going to see that, which did sell out at the Brighton Concord 2, I decided to travel northwards instead to see them in Leeds, which, of course, is perfectly logical. But anyway, we, we arrived at the venue and there was a, a support act. It was very good. And there was a merchandise store. So we went up to the merchandise store. They had some Sterilabs T-shirts. Excellent, by the way. They, they very much tickle my boxes and that they're reminiscent. They're ringer T-shirts with the collars that are reminiscent of sort of 70s football gear. I already have one t-shirt that's in Brazilian colours with the, the Stereolab mascot on the front. That's some very nice t-shirts there. And a very pleasant elegant looking French woman it helped with the t-shirt tried to work out which size would fit me advised that if we wish to buy a Stereolab tin tray which are also excellent by the way that we should have we should buy one early in the evening because they sold out she was extremely pleasant and helpful and and we you know we had a nice time chatting to her and we went we went afterwards we, we were then melted away to find somewhere to stand and Ed said to me I said that one was very nice wasn't she and Ed said yeah what's that Letitia Sadier and so I looked <laughs> oh, over word. and went I think that was. And Ed was then badgering me to go and have my photo taken with her. I was like, no, 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 no. She's in a very elegant woman. She's very busy doing that. Um, you know, let's let's not do that. 
this turned out to be prescient, Seti, because we were uh, we watched it. We watched the the, the band, the, the support band. They were excellent, and Letitia is still on the merchandise stall, and she's still on the merchandise stall, and she's still there. And, and I said to, to to Ed, she's cutting this very fine, isn't she, <laughs> to get on stage. I can't imagine. Is she not warming? I would have thought she'd be warming up. And we continued on. Oh, and as we were debating this, Stereo Lab arrived on stage, and Letitia Sadier was still on the merchandise stall, at yeah. which it became apparent. It was not Letitia Sadie on the merchandise. Letitia Sadie, you know, there was this creeping thing in the back of my mind thinking, I thought she was taller than that. Turns out she was taller than that because it was a different woman. And at the end. awkward if you I had know, gone for the selfie exactly thank goodness we did not do that i ed is badgering me to update my social media because i have in fact been spreading fake news it turns yeah. out but um and the funniest thing was that the, when they came back to do the encore the Sadie. I mean, such such an elegant, polite, stylish band and woman in that she took time to thank everybody involved in the gig. So she named the manager of the union. She, you know, she named everybody. And she's special thanks to Charlotte on the merchandise store. So I must say <laughs> that Charlotte provided an excellent T-shirt fitting store, service. Not her fault. She was not Letitia Sadier, it turned out. Although I wonder if she was a relative because they did genuinely look quite similar. She right. was just a bit smaller than Letitia but um but yes yeah, so so unfortunately a slightly missold encounter at the merchandise store having said that a it was really funny b thank goodness i did not go and have my picture taken oh, with, with, squirming with, with at the, the thought t- i know oh, i know exactly oh, no exactly no and maybe there was something in me that realized that there was obviously something yeah. in me that's holding me back because i've seen Letitia Sadie perform twice once on her own and once with with stereo lab Sarah Lab were excellent. Like I say, they played a slightly more obscure set, but they were they were really good and well received by the crowd. The sound we've been war- I've been warned by Ed that the acoustics of the venue were not very good. Having said that, I thought the sound was great, and we were debating afterwards how good it is when you've got sound people that realise and bands that realise that you don't have to play really loudly to be heard. And if you play really loudly, you're just going to distort everything. You won't hear the singer properly. They played slightly quieter as Courtney Barnett did when I saw her a couple of weeks ago. Ed claims that she plays too loud. I don't agree because when we saw her, the vocals were spot on because whoever it is that does the sound realises that you have to be able to hear the words with Courtney Barnett to make it work. Same thing applies to Stereo Lab. They're often bizarre Marxist didactic lyrics, usually in French. I know this is not necessarily a, a widespread sales city, but, <laughs> but but the, the, you know, the, the, the sound was really good and we had a really good evening. I mean, usual thing of six foot five men thinking they should oh. be in the front row, but um, but apart from that, we we had we had a good time, and I had a great time not meeting Letitia Sadier on the merchandise <laughs> store. Well, in my house, um, we broke our own rule this week about giving Whoa. up going to London to gigs and the theatre because of uh, modern day chaos. Yes, indeed, as previously discussed. On as this discussed, and it and it didn't start well with a two hour drive into London, which is a journey for us Ouch. of about fifteen miles. So two hours to do fifteen Goodness miles. Me. And we were also delayed by Moroccan football fans uh, jamming up Piccadilly and Piccadilly Circus, fireworks and all, as their team progressed to the knockout stages of the World Cup. Um, But honestly, I I did really want to mention this because it was such a night. We went to a new place 
the boulevard in oh. Soho. It's a really beautiful space for an evening. Um, in this case, an evening of jazz classics with the mm. wonderful Echo Ella May. Um, she took a step uh, sort of sideways, I suppose, from her usual set of songs mm. and spent the evening with a superb band singing from from her heart and soul, really, interpretations of um, Nina Simone, uh, Billie Holiday, Judy London, and many. Oh wow! Yeah. What what a what a catalogue to draw on. Absolutely. So it wasn't her normal, you know, self written um, mm. set of songs. It was um, she just chosen to um, do two um, two shows, two you know, two two yes. sittings, as it were. In this venue of, of it was like, um, like school dinners, first sitting and second sitting. Very much I like so. That. That's very nice. Sorry, go on. No, no, it's a very nice venue. I mean, she's absolutely wonderful, and it, it was really mm. one of the greatest intimate gigs I've ever attended. So oh, I that's really would lovely. say go and see Ego LMA if you get the chance. That sounds grand. And just sorry, just to pull something out of what you said there, yeah. first and second sittings seem to be quite popular now in terms of gigs. That That's a, that's a, having a matinee show, an old tradition seems to be being revived. When I was up in Leeds on the Saturday before we went to Stylus to see Stereo Lab, my, my pal Ed was giving me this lovely tour of the sort of sites of Leeds. And we went to the Brudenell Social Club. We were very sad that Stereo Lab were not playing there, but he's, uh, you can go in and have a drink in the Brudenell Social Club as well as going to see gigs there. And we arrived at, I would say, about sort of five o'clock, quarter past five. And we thought they were sound checking. He said, I'll just have a peer into the room and see. And there seemed to be a band playing and people in there. And we thought they were sound checking. Turns out it was Black Midi who were a, a band that are getting some popularity, lots of plays on six oh. music. And they were performing two shows. They had a matinee yeah. show, from including support, from four till six, I think. And then an evening show from sort of half seven or whenever it was. So later on, more to the usual gig time and from what we could gather the the matinee show was a 14 plus show i think or an all ages show and and the evening show was a sort of 16 plus show and i really like that idea of having a matinee in the afternoon particularly for younger music fans i think that was great so i'm all for reintroducing matinee performances as well as main performances very much so. That sounds great. And Anybody hooray heard... for Ego LMA, who sounds wonderful. Oh, very much so. Anybody mm. who heard a bizarre clattering sound about 30 seconds ago, that was me dropping my pen. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it Everything sounded... is always magnified. Isn't it it, it that sounded one? like yeah. a, an explosion in my headphones. I don't know how far it came across. It's, um, I mean, it's better than your smoke alarm, which once made a, <laughs> oh, made, a, dear, made a, an unexpected a appearance. Never mind. I first heard... Um, Christine McVie's voice when she was still with her, well, her maiden name, Christine Perfect. Uh, yes. Again, in those days of checking chart positions on a mm. tiny, tinny transistor radio. 1969, when she had a top 40 hit with her band Chicken Shack. That's and it, yeah. We, we know she went on to join Fleetwood Mac and was a vital pivotal member during the during the lean years really before the rebirth with rumors and through to tango in the 19 1987 mm. then sort of semi-retirement before returning to Fleetwood Mac especially in live performance in 2014 but Jules what a musician what a voice uh, just a life bringing wonderful music yeah, very, very much agree. I mean, what a talented woman. And also, whenever I've seen her interviewed on things, 
what what a nice fairly unassuming just pleasant woman she she my dad watched the Fleetwood Mac documentary a few years ago and was struck by the difference between her and Stevie Nicks in terms of personalities it's strange to imagine them sharing the same band really um Chrissy McVie's niece lives nearish to me and I sometimes see her around and about and I'm always extremely surprised by the similarities between the two of them someone told me that 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 she was her niece and I, I hadn't seen her sort of up close and when I did it was very very obvious the spitting image of her and i'm sorry for joe's loss and for everyone's loss um i just i think she's got a beautiful singing voice and she she really she's the sort of i often feel she was slightly the forgotten member of fleetwood mac really so i'm glad there's been such an outpouring of sadness because if you think about the sort of the original lineup of not original but the 70s lineup of fleetwood mac not peter green's fleetwood mac but the the kind of the the proper divorce pop as my friend calls it heyday of fleetwood mac (laughs) abba and fleetwood mac the 70s and the carpenters the 70s really were divorce pop weren't they at their finest (laughs) but um but yes most people would recognize mick fleetwood i think because he's so distinctive and also bless him partly because of the the the, the Fleetwood Fox disaster of the Brit Awards in the 80s I think but most <laughs> people would recognize him I think uh, slightly less let's say 80% of people I think would recognize Fleetwood, Mick Fleetwood probably 70% of people would recognize Stevie Nicks I reckon maybe 50-50 for Lindsay Buckingham mm. I don't think many people would recognise Chrissy McVie, and and, but, and oh. she sort of seemed to be one of the, li- the less prominent members, but marvellous nonetheless. You know, such such a great presence. Her Desert Island disc, which I re-listened to this week, is really oh. worth hearing. By the oh. way, she comes across as a, as a, as, a, as you know, just as a really pleasant low-key woman that happens to have written and performed all of these all of these brilliant songs have been in what one of the the most enduringly popular bands of all time rumors still sells in absolute shed loads mm-hmm. by the way particularly now and i've got friends at the run record shops because grandparents and parents buy rumors for their children much like the young person in your life who wants a record yeah. player for christmas i would very much recommend that you give her a copy of rumors by fleetwood mac because i think everybody everybody should is one of those records that everybody should have um she funnily enough split up with john McVie in the mid 70s yet he's always been known and remarried since but is always known as as chrissy McVie ever since yeah. um you know it's an enduring thing People forget, you know, that she was that she was an incredible song songwriter. I, I she received the Ivan Novello Award for Lifetime Achievement from the British Academy of Songwriters, Composers and Authors in 2014. Um, she she just, you know, I, I I almost find it difficult to put it into words really because she gave Fleetwood Mac something that that they wouldn't have had without her i think say you love me is brilliant i nearly picked that as my choice this week she also mm. wrote you make loving fun as well and don't stop so a lot of she, she never mentioned in the same breath as Lindsay buckingham i don't think but a lot of fleetwood max you know enjoyably melodic songs came out of her i think as well she um she just did a lot of things very quietly, I think, and wrote for other people, including Dennis Wilson from the Beach Boys. Um, she, her rejoining Tango in the Fleetwood for Tango in the Night, I think, really gave them a new lease of life. Little Lies and Everywhere, both written by Chrissy McVie. So, mm. so you know, the Fleetwood Max's finest pop moments, I think written by her so a, an enormous loss but also can't quite believe she'd reached the age of 79 i had no idea that yeah. time had passed that unforgivingly 
I know. Um, incidentally, Tango in the Night is my favourite Fleetwood Mac album. Oh, interesting. I, I Didn't know that. Yeah. Mm. It is very unusual, as you say, that someone in such a massively high-profile, high-selling mm. band could actually, she could walk down Oxford Street and I suspect not be not be noticed at all if she just walked, you know, in, in like sort of jeans and a, a shirt. And that's very unusual. But um, I was so I was so lucky to be invited to see the classic Fleetwood Mac lineup at close quarters at the O2 mm. in London. Oh, in yes. You, you, you might remember it was a gig where Lindsay Buckingham's uh, guitar roadie shouted at me. Yes. And, uh, yes, I do we, recall that. Yeah, we were hustled along past Stevie Nicks like mini marquee that she had set up uh, backstage yes, like a great big quite. tent. Of lace I can't, and I can't imagine Chrissy McVie having one of those. No, I, no, I, I, can't, I can't imagine so. that would be how she lived alone. Interestingly, she she um had a phobia of flying, which is why she just oh. didn't tour very much in her later ah, years. Um, that that was sort of why she she disappeared from uh from from view ah. for a bit. Um, rather sadly. In, in t- October 2013, she was announced as recording a solo studio album for the first time in nine years. Never saw the light of day. I wonder Ooh. if it might now. Mm. I hope it will. But um, but yeah, that's interesting that we never mm. we never heard that. Um, she she also smooth sailing adjacent my radio show, which we will mention later mm. on. Um, she also sang with Christopher Cross on the song Never Stop Believing on his studio album Back of My Mind. So uh, so yeah, long live the memory of Chrissy McVie. Very much so. I mean, when I when I saw them live live that time, mm. I mean, it was obviously it was kind of Lindsay Buckingham led, and Stevie Nicks was oh, mesmerising. Yes. But you're so right. It was Christine McVie's songs that really did quite genuinely stand out for me. And you you know you mentioned uh, some of them. Uh, you know, I remember in that set, "Over My Head," "Little Lies," yes. "You Make Loving Fun Everywhere," They're all hers, and the very last they? song. Yep. The very last song of the encores was Songbird, and oh, hearing that echo around the spellbound O2 was, wow. it was just something I'll never forget. That that sounds absolutely incredible, and actually, t- t- testament to how much she was she was liked. And also, uh, Fleetwood Mac said in a statement following her death that she was the best musician anyone could have in their band, and the best friend anyone could have in their life. And uh, Stevie Nicks called her her best friend in the whole world and that she had lost her best friend, which is just really sad, isn't it? And we, we forget, of yeah. course, that, you know, the ongoing soap opera that was Fleetwood Mac for a while and the continuing soap opera, Lin- Lindsay yeah, Buckingham yeah. being sacked and replaced with all people uh, by Neil Finn from Crowded House, which uh, I think we discussed this previously, would not mm. have predicted that as a swap. But, um, but th- th- despite the ongoing soap opera, you know this friendship endured didn't it between them all and and these people have lost their friend and yeah I, I'm just so sad because she just seemed like a very decent person and you know like you say undersung or weirdly how can you be in one of the biggest bands in the world mm. with one of the biggest selling albums of all time that you've written quite a lot of songs for and be undersung and yet that seemed to have happened so I'm glad Absolutely. of this outpouring in 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 the wake of her passing absolutely thank you very much for listening this week very good to have you and indeed all weeks thank you very much for having us along 
certainly not auto-tuned nor appearing as a hologram is Juliet <laughs> on her radio show this I week. I mean quite a few people would prefer it if I was I said <laughs> but anyway uh, no it is me and all me this evening a respite from from the football match that is happening if you wish or in fact the perfect accompaniment I'm doing smooth sailing from 7 to 9 p.m on noiseboxradio.com you can go onto our mix cloud and go onto mix cloud search noisebox radio and you can find former or previous shows, Smooth Sailing's Passim, there, just a Sunday night relaxing mix of yacht rock, AOR, MOR, classic pop, like the Mighty Masters, as I call them, uh, easy listening, and and nebulously so much more. And as you say, speaking of which, back to Christine McVie. There was only ever going to be one choice to finish our podcast, I think, this week. Um, You've spoken so well about it previously. I can't add much more just to say this really does showcase the incredible talents of Chrissy McVie. Uh, This is Songbird. Never before. 